Hello, and welcome to On Topic with IU. I'm Emily Miles. In this episode, we're talking about the ways in which our physical and mental health are tied together, and how understanding this system can help us better cope with the pandemic. People are lacking those resources that they used to have to co-regulate. That's how we talk about it in my socio-neurophysiology lab. We use each other to understand the world. This is Gregory Lewis. And I think that both we need to give ourselves a break about our own responses and when we might get a little bit more of a short temper, a little bit more depressed, have a little harder time um, staying focused on a task. I think we need to also give, give that space to each other. He's an assistant professor in the Intelligent Systems Engineering Department. And I'm also an assistant research scientist at the Kinsey Institute, where I'm part of the Traumatic Stress Research Consortium. I've been working on building sensors and measurement devices that include software and hardware to look at what's happening in the body and understand how that is being affected by what's happening in cognition and and mentally, and also how then the things that are happening in the body affect cognition. So it's a two-directional, how our thoughts affect our body and how our body affects our thoughts. Right, right. So we're talking about a a cycle here that I think that maybe we don't talk about enough. Um, I feel like with mental health, we talk a lot about sort of thoughts and emotions, but we don't talk a lot about the physical side. Why is that part important? It's certainly the part of, I think, a Western medical model to separate out physical illnesses from mental illnesses. But in, in reality, with what we know about the nervous system and how our body is regulated sort of moment to moment and day to day, they are the same systems. And so they're tied into how stressed you're feeling, what your recent experiences have been, and and how you understand your environment. And these are actually all tied together actually with the immune response system. So when we talk about autoimmune disorders, it's the same autonomic nervous system that's doing this setting of your heart rate and your breathing so you can fall asleep or so that you can digest your food. And so really our immune response our mental health and our physical health are all linked through the same neural pathways that connect the brain to the body. Right. And sometimes when we have an experience, we might even have a a physical response before we can cognitively sort of process what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, people will frequently talk to their therapists about their physical symptoms or to their physicians about their behavioral and mental symptoms, I think because the, the patients understand that it's all connected and the medical system is the one that says, well, I'm sorry, I'm your therapist. You're going to need to talk to your physician about your gastrointestinal problems. Part of what we're trying to do with the Traumatic Stress Research Consortium is break down that wall by collecting objective measures to help show the medical community as a whole just how tied together these things are and that trying to solve one problem like you're having gastrointestinal problems without addressing the sleep or anxiety problems is not an efficient way to go about actually helping your patients. Right. And so what we're talking about today specifically sort of regards the fact that we're all in a situation right now where we're probably experiencing a lot of, you know, different types of stressors, anxiety responses. And so I want to walk through a few 
situations um, that people might be going through, different things that they might be experiencing. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Yeah, wonderful. Okay. So first sort of scenario, you get a Twitter notification. And so you check it, you're scrolling through your feed a little bit, and you're just seeing disturbing headline after disturbing headline, maybe some images. And you start to feel maybe your heart rate pick up a little bit. You're having a bit of trouble breathing, maybe even some nausea, some dizziness. What is happening in your body? So what you're describing there are features of a fight or flight response. So it helps, I think, to orient you to the sort of three basic states that our autonomic nervous system has. So in our sort of default state, we are social creatures and the autonomic nervous system in a a safe environment is supporting social behavior. So it's actually tamping down our fight or flight response. It's keeping our heart rate low uh, and it's supporting things like making eye contact with other people because that's where we go for our first level of defense and support is to the people around us. It's when we are isolated from other people or when those other people in our uh, community aren't able to help us remove the threat that we start to fall back on an older, more primitive defense system, which is really an individualistic defense system, which is that fight or flight system. That's what's happening when you're looking at your Twitter feed and you're seeing headlines, and especially if you're seeing images, you're getting all these little bits of data that tell your nervous system you are not safe. And so you're trying to prepare to either fight off that danger or run away from that danger. But we all know you're not going anywhere. We're all self-isolating at home, right? Or social distancing at home. And you can't, you know, punch COVID-19 in the face. So you you don't leave yourself any way to remove that threat. You just put yourself more and more and more in a state where you're aware of the threat, but there's not much you can do about it. Right. So if we find ourselves in this sort of situation, having this response, are there any ways that we can try to manage it, try to try to get through it? Yeah, I think if you can, you want to try to get back up to that next higher state, right? So that first state is that pro-social state where you look to other people for support and defense against external threats. If you can, that's where you want to use something like video conferencing and, and talk to someone that you trust and someone that you love. Even if you can spend time with a pet who might make you feel safe, you can actually co-regulate very effectively with with other animals. But if those things are not available to you, there are little body hack type things that can help you re-engage a little bit of that uh, parasympathetic system, which is the one that keeps the fight or flight system in check. So the very simplest thing you can do is, is take a nice deep breath or two or three. When you do that, you actually, you stretch your lungs out and your diaphragm and you get a big bolus of a lot of um, oxygen into your blood and you get several different things that tell your nervous system, go ahead and and have some of this parasympathetic um, inhibition, at least for a little bit. And so it can be actually pretty powerful to take even just one nice, slow, deep breath to start to, to at least bring back a little bit of that balance. You have a a blood pressure regulation system, which looks at how much pressure is in your blood vessels in your neck and regulates your heart rate in response to that. And you can just lean on your hand on your neck 
and you'll actually start to lower your heart rate a little bit. I'm not proposing anybody do any more than just kind of gently lean on their hand, but that can actually be a way to, to lower your heart rate. Getting up and moving around, you know, when you're triggering that fight or flight response, you want to respond physically. And if all you can do is, is take a little walk, even if it's around your apartment, that's a reasonable way to deal with some of that energy. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about isolation and how that can be difficult. That's really what situation number two is about. So you've been social distancing for weeks. Um, you may have seen some people at the grocery store. They're strangers. You don't look at them for very long. Days are starting to blur together. And you really just are missing people and the way things used to be. You start to get some headaches. Your muscles, maybe in your shoulders, are getting tense. You're having trouble sleeping even though you're tired. What's happening here? So some of what you're describing is in the class of that last autonomic state. So sort of our default mode is this pro-social state. We then fall into a fight or flight type response when we're um, dealing with external threat. And when that fight or flight response doesn't remove the threat, especially for an extended period of time, the most primitive defense mechanism we have in our nervous system is a shutdown uh, response. So this is analogous to when a mouse plays dead when a, a cat catches it. So the mouse is not making a conscious decision to play dead. At a very low level in their brainstem, their nervous system detects things are incredibly, incredibly dangerous, and the mouse becomes unconscious. Um, those mechanisms are shared with these type of responses that you're discussing, where you don't want to make eye contact with people, you don't really want to get off the couch and move, conserving resources because nothing else seems to do anything to affect your level of danger in the world. So that type of shutdown response is what's happening, and this is another place where you really want to get moving. You're actually better off in the fight or flight state. So when you're finding yourself falling into this, if nothing else, I mean, the first things I said still count. If you can talk to someone, if you can have some um, social interaction with a, a person or a pet, those are still helpful. But if, if you can't do that, you want to just get physically moving. These are things that are going to help you stay mobilized enough that you at least have the opportunity to engage those social systems that are going to help you feel more secure. So those are some of the ways that you can deal with the stresses of the pandemic. We're going to take a quick break to hear from Kenny Smith about another recent episode. But when we come back, we'll talk through some of the ways that you can build those practices into a routine. Thanks, Emily. I talked with Elizabeth Malatestanik, who teaches human resource management at the Kelly School of Business at IUPUI. We talked about the changing health rules in the workplace, about keeping engaged if you're working from home, and the sorts of things employees should be able to talk to their employers about. You want them to be able to be open with you. And for a lot of companies, what they do is they provide employee assistance programs or counseling hotlines, those kinds of things. Because let's face it, as employees, we don't always like to admit our weaknesses or our struggles to our employers. So it's also a good idea, number one, to obviously to make it clear that you want to listen to them, you want to help, but also let them know that if you are struggling, here are some options out there. My conversation with Elizabeth Malatestanik is on topic with IU this week. The best thing you can do is try to keep yourself with some schedule, right? And I'm saying that as someone who's, who struggles with that because of all these other demands. You want to not ignore the situation that we're in, right? I don't 
think it's realistic to think that you're going to never see the news or be aware of what's going on around. But you need to consider what environment you're creating for yourself and for your nervous system. If you're checking the news every 15 minutes, you're not letting your nervous system ever fall back into a state of, I'm in a safe place. So if you can schedule some of the negative parts of your day about checking on what's going on and schedule some of the positive and self-healing parts of your day, right? If you're going to have 10 minutes to take a walk, can you make that the same 10 minutes every day? Or, or if you want to do, you know, less physically active things, if you want to do um, slow, deep breathing or a body scan or other type of like a mindfulness practice, but if you can build it into your schedule as much as is feasible it's going to help you be accountable to it. And it's also going to help your nervous system get used to the cycle of this new normal. The other thing that I'm, again, parroting what, what wiser people than me have said, give yourself a break, right? You're, you're not going to do this perfectly. Uh, none of us are. We're all adapting to what is an incredibly different environment. And that in and of itself is very disruptive and causes a lot of stress. Separate from whatever's happening with the pandemic, just the fact that you don't work at the times that you used to work and the places that you used to work and with the people that you used to work with. Those are things that disrupt your nervous system and your sense of how much security and control you have in your environment. So give yourself uh, the room to, to figure this out over this period of time. Absolutely. Change, change is not easy. Change is not easy, but uh, don't forget just how adaptable we are. We we are able to, as humans, learn to live with a lot of different types of environments and conditions, and, and we will learn to live with this as well. That is definitely comforting wisdom there. So our last situation is maybe a little bit stronger than the first two. The first two are things that we might encounter on the day-to-day. Then the third, let's say your parent has been battling coronavirus they survive and that's excellent. You've been experiencing, you know, some stress, some panic, but you feel like you should have some relief now, but you're still having some sort of struggles. You maybe you're having trouble concentrating, some panic attacks, maybe at the same time, some low energy. Why would you still be experiencing this? Yeah. So there's a brilliant um, person in the world of trauma, Bessel van der Kocker's book, uh, The Body Keeps Score, is sort of very well cited and, and useful. Part of what he's getting at with that title is that we carry with us in our nervous system sort of a, a history of all of these stresses and disruptions that have pushed us away from that natural state of being pro-social. And the things that change in your brain when you have those types of stresses and and traumas can leave permanent alterations in the systems, in the feedback. It's not that you cannot recover, but it is a part of you. And so you've gone through this in the situation you're describing, the situation with your parents or a parent and the extreme level of maybe danger and threat that you're feeling because someone you care about um, is struggling with the disease. And now, although that temporary situation has passed, we're still in this new environment with these increased threat cues and without the social supports that you had before. And so, again, give yourself the space that you're not going to have the normal recovery. It's going to take much longer. I would encourage you to 
you know, try to talk to that person. You know, if you can FaceTime with someone and they can't talk because they're in the hospital, there's still value in that. You're getting face-to-face communication that's telling your nervous system that other person is a real person and they're there. That is meaningful. And those are powerful cues to that nervous system that you're around other people that you trust and that makes you feel safer. So don't discount how much that could mean, even if you can't have a conversation with mom or dad yet. Maybe you can just see them. Yeah. So in these situations, we're talking about them kind of as though they're separate, but a lot of times they mix together. We have a lot of these sorts of experiences at the same time. It can be pretty overwhelming. Are there any places people can turn if they're feeling overwhelmed and and they're not really sure what to do with all of this happening at once? I would absolutely encourage people to continue to seek out mental health support. Counselors and therapists are working now through telehealth. Many of the hotlines are are still um, operating and, and have actually staffed up for the higher than normal level of stress that's being experienced out in the environment. And I know that IU resources um, are still available as well for students and staff and faculty. And I would encourage people to reach out to those. Right. And we've mentioned a few times that we're all sort of in this together. In a situation like this where we're experiencing like a collective long-term type of trauma, um, what can we do to help each other now sort of proactively? And what might be important going forward? We are experiencing a shared trauma, I think is not too strong of a word for it. I think we're, we're experiencing a shared trauma of the pandemic and a shared trauma of the social isolation. And they are obviously all connected. People are lacking those resources that they used to have to co-regulate. That's how we talk about it in my socio-neurophysiology lab. We use each other to understand the world. And I think that both we need to give ourselves a break about our own responses. And I think we need to also give give that space to each other as we start to re-engage and, and move back to our what is going to be a new normal. It, it cannot be the, the, the same normal. Can't step on the same river twice. So we're going to develop some new social graces around this. And it's going to feel natural to some people and it's going to feel odd or threatening to some people because it's new. And you want to, as much as we can, give each other the space to have those reactions, right? You don't need to judge people who are, I don't want to wear a face mask, you know? They grew up their whole life and they didn't have to wear face masks when they went to the grocery store. And we're all dealing with enough and and judging each other or or not giving each other that space is, isn't going to help anyone, really. The other thing I would say... In our society, we've been trending this way for a long time where we rely on our coworkers for social support more than I think our our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents did. Because work means something different in a world where people are constantly moving. And so I don't have the answer here, but I think considering that for some people, you know, the handful of coworkers may be there biggest and most important social support network. And so a little extra time at lunch or at the end of the day to talk to the person in the office who who looks down or looks scared or isn't comfortable coming back because they're still worried about what's happened recently, you know, if, if we're moving into a world where we're transitioning back to working in offices and stuff, 
just consider that you might be a more relevant part of that person's support network than than you might be aware. And so maybe give them a, a little extra time. Yeah. A little bit of compassion goes a long way. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate this. You're welcome. Thank you. On Topic with IU is a co-production of The Media School and IU Studios. Copyright 2020, the trustees of Indiana University.